All right. Let me pray. Father, we come to your word. Thank you for the word. Thank you, Lord, that we've been called to worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you that we could spend some time in the spirit of music and just vocal proclamation of who you are. Thank you that you did inhabit our praises. We feel your presence. We feel your love. We feel your grace. And now, Lord, you want us to balance the spirit with truth. This is your truth. This is your word. I'm your man, and you use me in spite of me. You've given me your spirit and a spiritual gift to teach and to preach. I yield to the Holy Spirit as much as I'm asking your people to listen with ears of the spirit because I know you have something to say today. And may we leave out here with more knowledge and understanding of the kingdom and what it means to know you and worship you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some things in life that are beneficial, but they're not always comfortable. There are things in life that are good for us, but they don't always feel good to us. And I know that this series on get your house in order and talking about death has not been the most comfortable thing for some of us to hear on Sunday mornings. But it is a beneficial thing and a necessary thing. Because as Christians, we ought to be the last people who are afraid to talk about death, knowing what our Savior did to death. He took the sting out of it. He took the bite out of it. So there's no fear in death for us because we know that when we close our eyes here, we open them up in eternity and we get to see the Lord and know him who knows us perfectly and intimately. That's why for us at funerals, we can mourn with hope. But we want to be those people, as we said in this series, who will be intentional about setting our affairs in order while we're still alive so that after we die, it will be much easier for our loved ones in our absence. So in this series, we talked about take care of my family, take care of my body, take care of my funeral, take care of my burial, take care of my things. And finally today, take care of my people. Take care of my people. We've been talking individually about our own lives and our estates. That again, we want to make sure things are in order so that our families can go on well. That we don't need to add to their grief and our absence with um, confusion and disorder. We want to help them as much as possible. And so we have given you books, made books available um, called My Transition Plan to help you. And if you haven't picked up one, we'll have them available uh, today after church. My wife is going to have them. Are you going to be back in the fellowship hall with them? <clears throat> so we'll have them for you. And we'll give you a stamp address envelope to mail your obituary and your funeral instructions back to the church. So all that, we could talk about that. My wife could talk about that with you if you missed two Sundays ago. Um, so we've been trying to get our homes, our houses together personally. But what about the church? Does God speak in his word about what should happen when a leader transition, transitions and goes into heaven? 
what happens to a church? Because if we're to get our houses in order as individuals, a church needs to get its house in order as a collective unit. Every church knows that at some point their current pastor will not always be there. At some point, all pastors will finish running their respective races and they'll finish that race either by reassignment, retirement, disqualification, or death. So no pastor is permanent. We're not in, the only permanent pastor is the Lord, the good shepherd. We're just under shepherds, and at some point, our assignment is going to be reassigned, we'll retire, some will be disqualified, all will die. It was the late Dr. Miles Monroe, pastor of Bahamas Faith Ministries International, who said, there cannot be true success without a successor. There cannot be true success without a successor. I'll talk about Dr. Monroe at the close of my sermon. And if STBC dies when I die, then this church wasn't built on the right person or on the right priorities and principles. Did you hear what I said? If the church dies when I die, this church is built on the wrong person. It's not built on Chris. It's built on Christ. Okay. And the right priorities and principles would say you make leaders who make leaders. You make disciples who make disciples. The church is not a one-man show. Neither is it to be a one-generation movement. It's built on Jesus. It's a community of people. And we're about ministering throughout generations. And true leaders, as we'll see, are people who set up leaders after them. Because if it all dies with me, I failed as a leader. But like Jesus, true leaders lead with their departure in view. You know, some people, even in corporate America, when they take jobs at these Fortune 500 companies, these lucrative uh, organizations, what they do on their first day is that they write their resignation letter. Not knowing when they're going to need it, but they write it because they know they're not going to be there forever. And some people transition and move for business purposes and all kinds of things. And so many leaders get that in their mind so that they don't become overly entrenched in one place. So they remind themselves of their um, finality and the temporary state that life can put us in. And so they write their resignation letter. You know, when I think about what a true leader is and one who has the departure in view, that means we need to make investments into others so that they can carry on in our absence. We, we make investments now while we can. After serving, after serving, the greatest act of leadership is mentoring. After serving, uh, Jesus is the greatest leader of all, and he's the ultimate servant. He became a man, and not only a man, he became a bond slave. He washed feet. He gave his life. He came to serve and not to be served. So if you're going to be a leader, you got to be a servant. If you don't want to serve, you're not ready to be a leader. And so after serving, it's mentoring or discipling, especially as it pertains to training a successor. 
the ideal way to train my successor. And notice I didn't say my replacement. Uh, Dr. Jewell had that right. You can't replace people. You can succeed them. You, you can't replace them because each person is unique. And if you're trying to replace somebody, that means you're trying to imitate them more than you're trying to imitate the Lord, more than you're trying to be who God called you to be. So we're not here to replace anybody. We're here to succeed people because God wants to do something new. Because if I spend my time trying to be you, who's going to spend their time trying to be me? No, 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 no. We're looking for a successor, not a replacement. And the ideal way for me to train my successor is to wait for God to identify that person. We're going to see from the text today. Let God identify that person. And once he does, I can mentor and train that person. And with the support of the elders, we can appoint that person to be the senior pastor while I'm still alive. That's the ideal way. That's the goal for me to train my successor. It works best that way in your jobs where the older guy is going out and he or she trains the next person who's going to come. That, that's the best way. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I think about uh, training my successor, that person could be here now. Turn to your neighbor. No, don't do that. But that person <laughs> could be here now. And watch this. That person may not be in this room. What do you mean? That person may be in children's ministry. That person may be in student ministry. Because we're making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so it would be good if there was someone who came up within the DNA of Strong Tower Bible Church to take the baton from me and run to the next leg of the journey. You see, the paradigm of a leader identifying, training, and appointing his successor before he dies follows the biblical model of succession. Again, that's the ideal way to identify your successor before you die. We see this with Moses and Joshua. We see this with David and Solomon. We see this with Elijah and Elisha. And of course, we see this with Jesus and the apostles. And you know you can't replace Jesus, but you can only go on as one of his successors. And I love how Jesus said that with his followers, he wanted them to do greater works than he did. Because any leader wants those that he or she equips to do better than they've done to go further than they've gone. It's not about building a monument to the leader. It's about the leader being an instrument that God can use to raise other people up, to take it further, to do it better. As a parent, if you're worth half your weight uh, in salt, you want your children to do better than you did. Amen. If you don't, you are selfish. You've missed it. I want my children to uh, have a better quality of life than I've had. Yes, and every leader should want the next person, their successor, to do greater, to go further, to do more. And so today, with the time remaining, let's take a closer look at Moses and Joshua in Numbers chapter 27. And as we're looking at it, I, I want you to catch this point. It is God's responsibility to provide a shepherd for his people. Okay? He'll use us, but it's not up to us. 
It's God's responsibility to provide a shepherd for his people. Let's take it back even more. It's God's responsibility to provide a keyboard player for his church. It's God's responsibility to provide a student minister, an executive pastor, an administrative assistant, members of the church. It's God's responsibility. It's up to him. So therefore, we can sleep at night. It's God. And sometimes you got to wait. But I'd rather wait on the right person than rush and grab the wrong person and then ask God to fix the mess and bless the mess that I created. We're going to wait on the Lord. But waiting is not a thing where you are lulled into inactivity. We're working while we're waiting. We just don't want to try to inaugurate someone that God has not chosen. So we're going to wait on the Lord. Now, 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 this is free. What I'm about to give you is free. You don't have to pay for this. You don't have to pay for this. It's free. The same God who chose me and raised me up to be the pastor of this church is the same God who's going to raise up the pastor after me. So we can rest because this is his church. This is his church bought with his blood. You are his people. And the church is not the building. It's us, the people. And God cares about his sheep so much that he's going to put under shepherds in place to make sure they're cared for. When Jesus would go into different regions, his heart would break because he would see sheep who were harassed and helpless not having a shepherd. And these were lost people. So they need to first come meet the good shepherd, Jesus. And then Jesus likes to put his sheep into sheep pens called local churches, served by under shepherds called pastors and elders. Because he knows every sheep needs that kind of accountability, that kind of protection, because there are wolves out here. And so today, 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 let's trust and let's rest in God. Now, I'm not planning on going anywhere anytime soon, uh, but I don't know what the Lord has in store. The next year, Lord willing, is my 25th year of pastoring this church. I pray to God he gives me 25 more. If he gives me 25 more, let me see here. I'm 51 now. I'll be 52 next year. Uh, Brandon, uh, 25 and 52 is 77 because you're my math whiz. 77. I'd love to be up here pastoring at 77. I'd be walking a little slower. My fro would be all white, you know, probably be over a little bit, you know what I'm saying? And the Lord said, you know, <laughs> have a little wisdom on my stuff. I hope, man, I hope that. But I don't know, he may reassign me to Hawaii or something. I don't know. And I have to say, yes, Lord. I'll go. Some of y'all going to try to go with me and be like, no, he, he called me, he ain't called you. So let's look at what happened with Moses and Joshua. Numbers chapter 27, beginning at verse 12. The Bible reads, now the Lord said to Moses, go up into this Mount Abiram and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. So they've been marching for 40 years so that the Moses generation could die off. Now the Joshua generation is raising up and it's time to go into the promised land. God says to Moses, come up to the mountain. I'm going to let you look over and see the land. Verse 13, and when you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. So in other words, you're about to die. 
You're going to be gathered to your people, the ones who've gone on in heaven, Abraham and Isaac. You're about to be gathered to your people. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hollow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Stop and pause. God is saying to Moses, that great leader who was Pharaoh's child by adoption for 40 years, who rose up against Pharaoh after coming out of the wilderness for 40 years where he met God at a burning bush. He goes back and he tells Pharaoh, let God's people go. And he leads them out of the Egypt, the Exodus, towards the promised land. And while he's leading 600,000 men on foot, that doesn't count for women and children, so there could be over 2 million in his congregation. He would get contested all the time. People would question him, reject his leadership. People would rise up against him, and Moses was humble. And when this stuff would happen, he would fall on his face, and he would pray. He would ask God to have mercy on the people. Even his own sister had it out for him because he married a black woman. So this leader was going through all kinds of hits and pains and rebellions and people getting on his last nerve. So that was a situation a little earlier in Numbers chapter 20 where Moses had a rough day and God told him after the people were murmuring, we don't have any water to drink, we don't have any water. And they've been through this before. They get thirsty, God provides water. They get thirsty, God provides water. They get hungry, God provides manna. So they would go through this pattern, this dysfunctional cycle. Where there's no water. God told Moses, speak to the rock. Water will come out of the rock. Speak to the rock. Well, on that day, that particular day, uh, they, they, they hit his last nerve. They hit his last nerve. And, and rather than speaking to the rock, what did he do? He struck the rock, not once, but twice. And later in the Bible, we, we see that that rock is a picture of Christ. So he's being disrespectful to God in the presence of the people. And, and water came gushing out of the rock. And God said to Moses that day, because you did not honor me as holy in front of the people, you will not enter into the promised land. Whoa, wait a minute. Hold up. He messes up one time? And can't enter into the earthly promised land because teachers are under stricter judgment in the sight of God. He's merciful now. He's, but you don't know when certain sins he's going to call for receipts. He's going to check you. And so if you're going to be a teacher, a leader of God's people, that's why it's important to be above reproach. Because when we sin, the Bible says rebuke your elders publicly. Moses was a public leader. He sinned publicly, and God says, you won't go in. But God is merciful. He says, uh, I'll let you go up to the mountaintop and look over and see the promised land. This all happened in the wilderness of Zen. That's what the Bible said, where he rebelled against God's command to speak to the rock, the wilderness of Zen. Before I move on, can I just encourage somebody today? Moses sinned in the wilderness of Zen, but it didn't stop him from getting in. Getting in what? He, he couldn't go into the promised land. Eh. 
that kingdom. Sin down here didn't stop him from going to heaven up there. It may have limited some of his earthly experiences, you know, because you reap what you sow sometimes. Yeah. But his sin and zen didn't keep him from getting in. Okay, that one didn't get you. Let, let, let me try to come down your street another way. The man who sinned in the wilderness of zen is still called faithful in all of God's house in Hebrews 3, 5. What that mean? Where sin abounds, grace does what? Superabound. So you made a mistake. You made a couple of mistakes. But that doesn't change your status with God. Matter of fact, God doesn't... Okay, you made a mistake as a leader. But I can still use you as an example of faithfulness even when you were not faithful because I remain faithful even when you aren't. It's all about me. So somebody, I want to let you know God says you're faithful. Even though you may have gone through a season where you were not faithful to him, you may not have been faithful to your spouse. You may have not been faithful to your church. But God doesn't judge you by one page in the book. Grace gives you more pages and more opportunities, and, and he's able to look beyond your faults and see your need, and he's able to grace you in such a way that even though you sinned and sin, you're in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. So don't let anybody hold you down. Yeah, I did that, and I went to jail. Yeah, I did that, and I got pregnant out of wedlock. Yeah, I did that. Uh-huh. Don't let people hold you in a place that God doesn't hold you in. If they can't accept it, that's their fault. Because my position with him does not change because of the mistakes that I make. He still sees me. He, all of us, he hits bullseyes with broken arrows. All of us are broken. Not one of us is straight. Not one of us is a perfect instrument in his hand. We're all instruments with flaws. And in grace, he uses us. Is that an excuse? No. It's just the reality of the power of a merciful God. So I just wanted to say that to somebody. Look, I'm saying it to myself. Thank you. Amen, Pastor Chris. Amen. Thank you. I'll take it for myself. So I got to read on now. Look at verse 15. I mean 15. I went hood on it. <laughs> then Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. Okay, Moses knows he's leaving. So he says to God, God, why don't you set a man over the congregation? Because I've been leading them now for 40 years. Set a man over the congregation. Verse 17, who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and lead them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. So a leader is someone that leads a group of people out of one thing and into another thing, out of bad things and into good things. Leaders lead by example. We we're leading you out. We're leading you in. That's what we do. We serve. Verse 18, and the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eliezer the priest who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. Those are the holy dice. At his word they shall go out and at his word they shall come in. He and all the children of Israel with him on the congregation. 
So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So the people knew who their next pastor was going to be. That's the best way to do it. For one pastor to lay his hands on the next pastor. It provides security for the people. Safety for the people. As opposed to a pastor dying and there not being someone to take his place. And so that's the ideal way. And that's the way that I want to do it. I want to see God identify who will be my successor. I want to train that person and mentor that person. Lay hands on that person in front of everyone. And then step off the scene. I'm not going up to a mountain to die, hopefully. Not. I'm going on to Hawaii somewhere, like I said. We, we hold on to that in the name of Jesus. And that's how we want it to be, but that may not be how it happens. Okay, watch this. This, this is the preferred way. But then there is the unwanted way. What's the unwanted way? That is if something were to happen... To me, that is unsuspected or unexpected. Um, what happens then? So as a church, we, we, we pray for the ideal, but we plan for the ordeal. So this is a white envelope. And um, when I was finishing up my doctoral studies several years ago, uh, we took a class on succession planning. And I walked out of there saying, I need to put a plan in place that deals with succeeding me when I'm gone. Because I've seen many, many churches become stagnant because there was no plan in place when the pastor passes on. Just like a family struggles if there's no plan when a matriarch or a patriarch passes on. And they're struggling to make it. So to be a good steward, to be responsible, we need to let plans be known while we're alive as individuals, but also as leaders, in my case, of Strong Tower. So here's a white envelope, and uh, so if something were to happen to me, um, pass away somehow unexpectedly, or I become incapacitated, the elders know there's a white envelope in the safe at the church here and in my home that spells out some of my wishes here. And let me read some of this to you. And we update this, you know, probably every year, but it says this. To the pastoral search committee of Strong Tower Bible Church, because some of you will be put on a committee. I, Dr. Chris Williamson, being of sound mind and body, don't nobody laugh, do hereby communicate my thoughts, beliefs, and perspectives concerning the filling of the senior pastor position of Strong Tower Bible Church on this 23rd day of November 2019. This white envelope letter is a list in conjunction and agreement with the Constitution and bylaws of Strong Tower Bible Church, Section 10, Part E, Number 2, which state, in the event of extended incapacitation or an untimely death, the elder team may retrieve a sealed white envelope from the residence of the senior pastor that has his recommendation and or a list of candidates to be considered as his successor. The elder team is not bound by this recommendation, but may use it as a starting point to find a qualified permanent or interim successor in a timely manner. 
Therefore, in the event of my unexpected departure from this life or a matter that would leave me incapacitated and unable to do my job in a satisfactory manner, I humbly offer the names of the following individuals listed below for the search committee to consider as my successor as the senior pastor of Strong Tower Bible Church. Uh, in previous letters, there were four names. In this letter, there are three names. I won't give you the names. That would be in poor taste. And then I say a few things about pulpit supply, you know, to be able to bring people in to preach uh, in this time of transition as you're looking for a pastor. One of those speakers uh, is the young man who spoke last week, my spiritual son, Cleon Harrison. Uh, bring him in to speak. He doesn't want to be a pastor. He lets that be known. He's, he's too mean to be a pastor. Cleon just, uh, <laughs> no, I'm messing around. But he's a good preacher. And then I have down here, while you're looking for a pastor, my wife can come and preach and share the word. I'm assuming you weren't with me when I met my demise. You know what I'm saying? I'm by myself, you know. <laughs> You come, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Man, that's funny. That's funny. We always talk about now, are you going to get married again and all this kind of stuff? I'm not going to tell you our answers. I'm going to tell you our answers because I don't want none of y'all like trying to get yourself together if something happened. <laughs> that's just, Darina show is fine. See what's up with Pastor Chris, you know. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. Yeah, man. I'm going to conclude by saying, uh, I will tell you this. She says she doesn't want to get married again. You, you did say that, right? Because we're writing all our plans out and stuff. You, you did say that, right? I can't remember what my answer was or something happened to you. I will remember you, babe, but I'll probably get married again. You know what I'm saying? That's too much information. That's too much information. All right, Pastor Miles Monroe, <laughs> who I mentioned earlier, he died in a plane crash on November 9th, 2014. He died along with his wife and seven other people on a private plane that was going into Grand Bahamas for a leadership conference. And the plane hit some bad weather and they ended up striking um, some sort of crane there uh, near the airport, and everyone died. So the pastor, the first lady, and seven other people, and of those seven people, um, one was the assistant pastor, and two were the newly appointed husband and wife youth minister leaders. So in one moment, they lost their senior pastor, first lady, assistant pastor, and both youth ministers who were going to a leadership conference in one moment, in one day. Unexpected. Who saw that coming? But this man prepared for his departure. So when the people at the conference got word that their pastor had passed, canceling the conference was not even an option for them because they said he prepared us for this. And it would be wrong. He would not want us to cancel a leadership conference because he's not here as if he's the only leader amongst us. So they not only went on on Monday. He passed on a Sunday. They went on on a Monday with the leadership conference. And to this day, that church and his ministry are still thriving. People are in place leading those ministries and the church. 
because he had the wherewithal to see that he would not be successful if he had not appointed successors. And that's what we want to be about here. So we want to pray that God would identify my successor when he decides and that I can mentor and train that person because like Jesus, I want my successor to do greater works and to take this ministry where I could not take it. But I don't know how much time I have. You don't know how much time you have. But I want to live each day enjoying him and serving him and being obedient to him. I want to live as if he may not come for 25 years, but I also want to live like he could come back tonight. How do we live that way? Let's stand for prayer. As I mentioned, if you're looking for a church, come see me. You need, you need to be a part of a church. If not this one, you need to be a part of one somewhere. If you're not a part of a church and you are a Christian, you are out of fellowship. You're in sin. He wants you to be a part of a church where you're held accountable and you hold other people accountable. And if there's someone here today who is not a Christian, you're not a believer, you're not sure where you'll spend eternity, I was standing here, humble yourself. Let that pride go and come talk to me and I will open up this book and I will show you what the Lord says and we'll pray today and today will be the first day of the rest of your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh God, this word has everything in it. Thank you that you don't shy away from tough topics. And that you loved Israel so much that you wanted to make sure that they had a leader who could take them to the next place. And it was Joshua, who had spent time with Moses, and who knew Moses, and the people knew him. And he was the right choice. And Lord, uh, we just want to be ready as a church. Any of us can be called away at any time for anything, and not just in death, but because of seasons. We heard that with Kevin today. Some of us may get a job out of town, but our ministry can't collapse if one, two, ten people leave. No, Lord, so glad this church is built on you. It's your responsibility to provide everything that we need to do the work you've called us to do. Thank you that you've been faithful. You've never failed us, and you never will. So we trust you, Lord, and we thank you, and we pray now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think, and it's according to the power that's working within us, to him be the glory, the majesty, the dominion and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. amen. If you need to uh, get a transition book, head on down to the uh, fellowship hall and we'll tighten you up. Amen. Love you. <laughs>